Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled Podcast. Steve's here. Hi, Steve. Morning, mate. How are you going? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, sorry, I'm, I said in my last owner's stories that I'm using a new microphone. I'm not actually using a new microphone. I've had it for some time, and I just said to you, but I'm just watching my levels because they're, it's very confusing because I have a different readout on my pod track that Spike Ferriston uses, and on my garage band, it's all very different, so I'm just trying to work out if I'm blowing out, but it sounds okay in your end, right? Yeah, it sounds fine. It sounds good. No Mate. special effect comedy no, um, I have I have the buttons. I can I can I can add in our theme music in the middle of the podcast if you want, but I won't. <laughs> it's on there. Yeah. It's on button A B C or D. I can't remember which one is on. Actually, it's on there. But I only right. have, I could do that. You want me to do that? No, no. All right. Welcome back, everyone. If you haven't been here before, my name is Michael Bath. That's Steve on the other end. We're going to talk all things Porsche again today. And Steve, yep. you're in a rush. What's happening this morning? You're getting your car fixed. No, I'm not in a huge rush. I just, after this, I'm going um, back to Auto House. Um, my latest little thing was the seatbelt receptacle on the driver's side. Um, was messing around and throwing an airbag warning, intermittent airbag warning on my dash. The guys diagnosed it a couple of weeks ago and I got the call yesterday saying parts in ex-Germany. So that was about two and a half weeks, I think. Um, and they're happy for me to drop by to fit it because um, I live so far away. It's a bit of a pain in the butt for me, nobody else's fault but mine. Um, so normally when I go for a visit, I get a loan car, but they're happy to, for me to kind of sit and wait. So It's nice when you can sit and wait. I don't get a loan car. I'm a bit of a cheapskate. As you know, I catch the train back to um, the city. But yeah. a bit difficult, bit difficult for you. Hey, um, that's what they told me at um, Porsche Centre South Sydney. Actually, when I when I asked for the quote so, of the roof racks, they said it takes it only takes two to four weeks from Germany. Two to four. Yeah, that's what they said. Two to four weeks. Wow, that's long, isn't it? Because didn't it back in the old days? Didn't it used to be sort of like a week? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's a bit of a it's a variable though, right? Because if you're waiting on a part, hmm. if it's two to four weeks, like you said last week, if you order house or you're a specialist or whatever. So it might come in two weeks or it might come in four weeks. It's a bit hard to um, to book people in. I'm not sure yeah, what's happened. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not sure what's happened because you know that uh, – I'll just let the listeners know that that ignition mm. issue that I have. Yeah, you um, um, I think that I think that it's um, – from speaking to Chris at Autohouse, it seems to be the – I think you call it the ignition switch or the ignition cylinder. Um, yep. It appears that other people have had the same issue. Um, yep. I think Chris said he had someone who had the same issue. Um, okay. So that's that's booked in. Um, the part has to be ordered. Um, it has been ordered, and I'm not going in there until. And they're probably busy as well. It's probably not just the part, but I'm not going in there till yeah. the fourth of February. I think it is February four. Yep. So I think it should be okay until then. Um, it's not a cheap. I'm not going to say how much it costs, but it's not it's not a super cheap um, repair. Yep. If anyone wants to know the cost, they can DM me, and I'll give them the cost. I don't want to say it online. Yep. But it's not it's not that bad. I mean, like you said, when I told you about it. And I had told Marco about it. I think peace of mind, I think I just need to do it. I mean, it seems yeah. to, you know, the car still yeah. starts and it seems to be okay. It just, you know, just those two issues I went through last week with the not turning on and not turning off. Yeah, which is obviously just a bit, uh, I'd find that kind of disconcerting. Anything that potentially kind of leaves you stranded um, is not a good mental thing. But particularly for you, like when it's your own car, um, but just that sort of, parts thing too because like if it's a crucial part like pretend 
this was your daily and like the ignition barrel thing cylinder was really on the on the fritz um, yeah. and you were kind of literally relying this is the point that grant sort of made to me um when it comes to kind of part supply for his business it's like yeah wow that that makes things really difficult you know like in the past um you know like if they needed to or if anybody needed to get a part x kind of melbourne you might be able to get it um overnight sort of thing so then you know your car's out of action not for one day it's out of action for two days but for them to now logistically kind of manage all of this stuff like if something's kind of crucial um it um i wonder a headache it is a headache i wonder though steve i wonder if the Mm. issue is the fact that melbourne for example if that's the head office i don't know who the head office is yes it is that they're not buying as much of the basic parts you know what i mean they're not buying as many of basic parts they're not keeping stock because of the improvement in logistics, right, and how quick logistics yeah. are now in general, yeah. pre-COVID, yeah. you know, people won't keep as much stock on on, on yeah, demand. It doesn't make sense to hold inventory make, on anything. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because we can get it within a week. You know, I don't want yeah. to pay it up front. It's hard to work out what parts people are going to need. So you leave it. But then you have any kind of issue like this. We always joke about it, right, because when you do projects and – I don't know whether you've had to do these, but when we do um, exhibition projects, we always mm-hmm. the client always wants the risk plan, right? So it always has to be yes. done. Um, most of the times we do it ourselves. We don't get a risk expert because that's yep. too expensive for a company of our size. Yep. And, you know, you always put in, you know, war, terrorism and pandemic. And we always kind of laugh when you put in pandemic because it's like pandemic, mm. you know, <laughs> if it's, that's yeah. going to ever happen. So it yeah. kind of makes sense that all these things are messing up because even though it's a, a risk that you should account for, most people yeah. haven't. Most people haven't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, most businesses that I know of, like in my field, don't even sort of think about backing up, you know, like your files, <laughs> like something really basic like that. I tell you and, what. You know, it takes it takes for you to kind of, you know, lose a hard drive to realise just how painful it is. Um, but the worst part of that is the liability to your clients. Like if I lose files and, you know, I don't have a backup of it for my clients, um, you know, I'm being completely unprofessional. It's not just myself. So, um, yeah. That's pretty scary though, Steve, isn't it? I, mm. You know, when you look, yeah, yeah. I remember in Bahrain, I'm with people and I go, so where, you have a backup of that, right? It's like, oh, don't back up. It's like, what? You don't back yeah. up? How can yeah. you not back up? Honestly, yeah. that, I'd find that so scary. Like I back up in so many different places, you know, whether it be, yeah. you know, Time Machine or NAS and now like separate drives for certain things, you know, you just have to be, yeah. you have to be careful. Um, yeah. let, me, let me just go through owner stories. I just sent it to you. Yep. Um, I just sent you owner stories. Owner stories number 67 this week, um, which most of the guys would have listened to already. I'm sure most of you guys would have listened to it already. Um, number 67 is Brennan. Uh, Brennan. Brennan is also a supporter on Porsche Good on Patreon. So thank you for that, Brennan. Brennan and I had a good chat. Um, he, he asked me to guess where he lived before we went online. I think it was, and I couldn't guess it. I should have guessed it because it was still reasonably bright and it didn't look like bad weather outside so he lives in vegas oh, I was say, how are you supposed to guess visually, visually <laughs> well, the like, light the oh. light i guess but he lives in vegas right, okay. uh, he's originally from seattle his dad is uh when you listen to the story steve his dad is a car collector his dad's got about over 20 mm-hmm. or 20 odd cars and yeah, cool. uh brennan sent me this dm and i'm gonna read it because this is this is the intro and this is when i get ones like this and every every story is a great story but some of them have a little bit of a different twist and this one had a different twist he says, mm-hmm. my father has had an 88 cab since I was little that, that gave me the Porsche and car bug, which he talks about mm-hmm. in the story, right? Throughout the years, yep. he's collected a bunch of cars, including an 89 Prussian Blue 930, which his dad still has, and a current 356 Restoration, which his dad still has. 
Cool. Last month, my father gave me the 88 cab as a wedding gift. Wow. So just to touch on it briefly, Brendan has a 964 Carrera 2. That was his first 911. Um, mm-hmm. Reasonably new to him. Reasonably new to him, Steve. Um, mm-hmm. His 996, 964 Carrera 2, he wanted that car. He wanted a six-speed. He wanted it in Grand Prix white, which is what you had, right? Grand Prix white? Grand Prix White, he's a bit of a white BMW guy, as he said. Um, hi, Brennan. Um, and he he chased the car, I guess. Um, he, he wanted this car. He spoke to the guy. I think he said it was a thread on Renlist. I don't know whether you've seen this. And then he eventually bought the car. The car was owned by a guy on Instagram, which you might have seen, called What the Fook? What the Fook? What the Fook? Uh, I, think I've heard, I think I've heard of it, but I'm yeah. Not. And big on social media, so um. yeah, so that was on Instagram. He's on Instagram, that's who Brandon bought it from. It's a 1991 964 Grand Prix White Carrera 2 six speed, and it has the wheels that I love. It has the Cup One wheels, and they are in white, Steve. Cup white. One wheels, huh? Okay, yeah, yeah in cool. white, very nice, that's very cool. nice. Yep. Um, so there's a really good story behind the 964. I'm not going to give it away here, but listen to that, and then uh. This year, late, late last year, when Brennan got married, there's this uh, 88 911 that he remembers as a kid sitting in the car, going out to the garage, seeing the Porsches, seeing all the other cars that his dad has, and then sitting mm-hmm. in his car, feeling the steering wheel, you know, the noise and all that. And then uh, just before he got married, his father gifted that car to him for his wedding. And it's a very, it's a cool, special it? one, mate. It's a cab, but mm-hmm. it's a 911 3.2 88. Commemorative edition Cabriolet. I think it's called cool. Diamond Metallic. Brendan said Diamond Metallic. Um, I know you're listening, Brendan, but I just checked online before I came on. Uh, it, it says it's Diamond Blue Metallic, but I'm not sure. So right. that was the that was the commemorative edition, Steve, that was brought out to celebrate a quarter of a million 911 cars made, believe it or not, a quarter of 11 cars made wow. on June the 3rd, 1987. Um, and it was brought out in Coupe, Targa and Cabriolet. So yep. Brendan has that car. So now he's got the cab, Steve. He's got the cab yep. and he's got the 3.2. Uh, he's got the 964. Great, great combination. Really, really cool story. So I suggest everyone, if you haven't listened to that story already, give it a listen. And you should go and follow Brennan as well. And I should just have his Instagram in front of me. And I don't because I'm not very prepared this morning. But his Instagram is at Brennan, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, Murph, M-U-R-P-H. So go and uh, say hello to Brennan, give him a follow, and tell him you heard his story on Porsche Cooled. Slight tangent of that. Yes. I wonder how many of us think about um, what's happening with our cars when we're long gone. I know it's a bit of a morbid kind of thing, but it reminds me... Very um, morbid, mate. What are you talking about that this time of the day? Well, just because these things have sort of become (laughs) so... Precious again is that word, but um, there's a really great advertising line for Patek Philip watches, which is something along the lines of I'll misquote it. Sorry to the copywriter that wrote it, but something along the lines of you, you never own a Patek Philip, you're just a caretaker for the next generation. Yeah, it's a really I... sweet kind of thought, you know, like you buy the watch and then you sort of think of it as an heirloom that gets passed on. Um, I wonder if it's, yeah. I must admit that's the way I think about the GT3. It's like even though I've got daughters who possibly might wind up being rev heads, um, but, you know, when they're old enough to drive and stuff like that, they'll remember like their old man constantly tinkering with this idiot car sort of thing. I wonder if they'll have an appreciation for it or I don't know. But I think 
you know, especially for you with, you know, two young children. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's what's good about Brennan's story. Like, he's a kid. He's like growing yeah. up with all these cars. He remembers the Porsches. Yeah. He goes out in the garage. He sees them, Steve. And the one he always remembers is that 88 cab. And I said to him, because he yeah. did actually mention, Brennan mentioned that it's his birth year. 88 is his yeah. birth year. And yeah. it's like, do you think your father did that? You know, he did it intentionally. Is it like a watch, you know, like yeah. how you bought yeah, watches, you know, birth, watches birth that you, watches. Yep. yeah, birth year watches that you'll pass on to your kids. You know what I mean? Like, yep. and he said, no, because I've got a brother and sister and they didn't do that for my brother and sister. So it must yeah, have yeah, yeah. been planned. But it, yeah. it's right about the passing on thing. And that Patek ad is a really good ad. It does make you think, you know, and that was... It's such know, a that, nice thought. Yeah. It, it perfect is. for the brand. Yeah. It is. It's perfect for the brand. And that ad came out well before when Paddocks were, you know, available, when you could actually buy them. Obviously, <laughs> now it's a little yep. bit different. But it's, yep. a, it's a great way of looking at it because it is something, I guess, you do kind of think about. You know what I mean? And the value of these cars, you know, do you want to, when you invest in a car, even if you bought it for a lot of money or a little money, it's still going to go up. Do you really want to, when it's a special one, do you really want to part with it? You know, like you with your GT3, it's think. special to you for lots of reasons. Yeah. And you don't yeah, really want to part with it. Yeah, now I kind of got married in it and, yeah. you know, like there's obviously all these kind of memories and stuff. But I wonder if that does change a little bit uh, given where, you know, internal combustion engines are kind of going. We, we don't really know if like, um, you know, in... 30 years time whether or not like these cars will be kind of vilified or they'll be more revered than they are now or you know like whether my kids will just kind of go yeah whatever like you know it's valuable let's sell <laughs> let's sell the thing let's just sell it yeah, <laughs> yeah. which happens which know. happens with houses which happens with jewelry which happens with a lot of things when people die but um, well you've had a few owners story things where um good mates have unfortunately kind of passed and the mate sort of wanted to buy the car because like, you know, the family left over possibly, oh, I'm assuming, I'm guessing, didn't really have an appreciation for it and it was just yes. kind of sat there, um, which is to me is a really kind of nice, again, um, a nice way of like the car kind of moving on and being appreciated. Um, so, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah, Morbid, I like, but interesting. It is, but I, I do like that part of owner stories. But I also think about the children. Maybe the children weren't interested in the car, like you said. But it's kind of nice that it has gone to a, a friend. Do you know what I mean? And I think yeah, there's yeah, one yeah. story, and I, I can't remember this morning, you know, the story where it's like, you know, at, at that point in time, you can't really buy it and you wait and the car's still sitting there and then you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to buy the car. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, yep. Which is which is a nice thing that they just they just left the car in the garage. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah it's a good yeah. nudge kind of thing. Um, Steve, 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 let's, uh, let's just go to, um, one review. Let me just read out this mm -hmm. one review because, um, mm -hmm. I always like to read out the reviews and I know who this is and I'm really, really sorry. You sent me a DM and I've completely forgotten who it is, um, because it just has the Apple username. Um, this one is for the real, for real people, five stars. Thank you very much. I enjoy this podcast because Michael and Steve are very relatable. It's the kind of Porsche chat that I have with my local Porsche friends. Not judgmental or critical of people's choices. Just remember that, Steve. The topics are interesting <laughs> and the owner's stories remind me of the many ways people fuel their passion for the brand, which is true. You know, that's a good part of owner's stories. Thanks, guys. Yep. And that's from Love the Twisties from the US. So thank you very much for leaving the review. Mm, and as I say, twisties. every week, every week that the Apple reviews and ratings just a second. It only takes you a second to leave a star review. Um, if you can write a few words, that's even better. And it just pushes us up, pushes us up the podcast charts. Hey, did cool. you see, um, I know it's on everyone's, everyone's talked about it and it's been all over the internet mm. as most things, but we haven't spoken about it, but it's kind of an update, you know, mm. about values, your favorite topic. 
Um, but top end values, you know, collector, very, very rare Porsches. And we're talking about the Carrera GT, Steve. CGT, uh-huh. the CGT, as they call it. I had a look on Bring a Trailer um, just yep. at the values because I thought, I just want to know what the values were and how many they've sold because people are saying, oh, Bring a Trailer is such a great spot to sell cars. They only charge the seller minimal commission. What is it, 5000 US or something for a $2 million no car? I think it's very, very minimal fee. Right. Um, and they're talking right. about the other auction houses. Made me kind of think about are the other auction houses kind of are they kind of getting a little bit obsolete? Are they not moving with the times? Are they like taxis when Ubers came out? All taxis had to do was in Australia just bring out a really good app and maybe they could have like fixed up their act. You know, is mm-hmm. it that sort of thing? You know, are these sort of online auction places like Doug DeMuro's one, um, you know, bring a trailer, collecting cars. Are they are they the new auction houses, you know, the cheaper way to sell that they that they base it on more quantity and sponsorships and not necessarily... Um, I suppose it works at the moment because this, like everything, has become more valuable and appreciating. So you kind of know at the moment that um, you, uh, it's you've got more of a possibility of kind of making good money um, just because of the kind of current climate. But I wonder what's going to happen with all of these places when you know we're at the we're at the other end of the cycle where car values are less predictable. Um, yes and all of that sort of stuff, it'll probably be a bit more of a litmus test. Like I've spoken to various... Is it an easy market? Yeah, because I've spoken to various car dealers about like the topic of auction houses. I think we touched on it once before. Yeah. And um, uh, they obviously were a bit more cynical, but I don't think it was sort of like purely a professional thing Like because uh, I tended to agree. It's like, man, it's a big leap of faith to kind of go and buy something on auction, like potentially sight unseen, all that sort of stuff. I guess it's how comfortable you feel. Just going back to Brennan's story, you know, he mm. he he didn't get a PPI done on the 964. Um, yep. He said he was comfortable buying a car and not sight unseen because, you know, he's yep. had experience with it before with other cars and his dad does it, I think, as well, right? Yeah, sure. sure. And also because he, he got to know the guy who's selling it, so he trusted yep. the seller. And then he called up the, what you said a long time ago, he called up the service yep. place and it had all the records and he spoke to the person that does all the servicing and looks after the car. Yep. You know, so you find out the whole, all the details. So I thought, I remember you said that ages ago, and I think that's a good yep. way to do it if you're not going to get, um, it's about trust, isn't it? It's a good way of getting the, um, the yeah. information. But I, like you, you, I think you hit the point, you know, perfectly then. I mean, it is these, these places like bring a trailer, collecting cars. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a market at the moment. What happens yeah. when that market drops? You know what I mean? Fear happens yeah. very quickly. Look at crypto this week. You know, crypto's gone down like crazy. Everyone's like selling. Everyone, fear is I like think, a scary right. thing. You know what I mean? It, yeah. If people start to get the inclination or the, the idea that their car is going to drop by 20, 30%, people mm-hmm. are going to start selling, especially people who are, you know, just investors. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that Carrera GT market really, I thought was really, really interesting because it was only 2020, Steve, 21st of February, 2020, where they had their yep. first one. This is, this is the record of sales they have. There's only a few dots, four dots. Um, yep. And that was an 04 GT Silver with black interior. Yep. We all know the Ascot Brown is nicer in the interior, but it's GT Silver and black. That sold for 576,000 US dollars. Whoa, February 2020, wow. February 2020. Now think about if you bought that car. It had 36,000 mm-hmm. miles, so it's a little bit heavier. That's high, isn't it? Yeah. It's a bit higher, but think about the current level, right? Then on the 14th of September 2021, year and a half later, at 04 GT Silver with Ascot Brown, beautiful interior, mm-hmm. Ascot Brown and Black, I think they call it, sold for 1.3 million US dollars. Two and a half, what two. Mileage? 
2,700 miles, right? Uh, okay. The first one, do you think the first one's a bit of an anomaly though? Because that's pretty high mileage for a... I think so, because it's 36. Yeah. It'd be good to see how I was thinking when I was writing this down, thinking I wish that one would come back up for sale. That would just show the market yeah, right. at its true point, yeah. right? Yep. And then yep. on the 5th of January, 2022, a red and black one. Now, this one surprised me when, it, when that was listed because I didn't think that people would want a red CGT. I guess it is a rare color. I guess it's something that isn't as common as, I mean, the silver and the black. How many red ones yeah. do you see? I, like I still, yeah. I still wouldn't put my 1.9 million in a red one. Would you, Steve? Yep, I would. You would, <laughs> really? Yep. Why? Tell me why. Because uh, I don't reckon it looks cool. I like it. Do you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that guards red? I, I, I can't like remember. Yeah, guards. I think it was guards. Um, so that's a black, uh, red with black interior. 05, and that's that was the record until. A week ago, that was a record at 1.9 million US, 780 yep. miles. You think how you couldn't get one better than that, right? 780 miles. Well, yep. almost straight after that sale, someone realized that they could get better. And on yep. the 18th of January this year, they put a no reserve auction. This is the this is actually a no reserve auction as well. They had the confidence, Steve, <laughs> that they didn't, uh -huh. they weren't going to lose. The others weren't no reserve auctions. This is a no reserve auction. Silver Ascot yep. Brown, beautiful, beautiful example. Two, 2005, $2 million US it sold for. New record, record not just on Bring a Trailer, but a record for a Carrera GT, 250 uh -huh. miles. You think that yeah, person is going to drive that car? No, which is a shame. <laughs> which is a but, shame. You know. Which is yeah. a shame. It kind of indicates like um, one of the few people I, uh, I would sort of still watch on YouTube is TGE. I'm out of the UK. And that dude, like I know he's, uh, he's, his background sort of law and finance or like a, com he's a combination. Lawyer. And, lawyer, lawyer, banker, yeah. Yeah. Um, that guy knows how, like, he knows how to pick it, doesn't he? he? He obviously, like, isn't just enthusiastic about cars, but he quite clearly studies, um, like, the form and the values and all that kind of stuff because um, he... He, like most recently, tends to seem to kind of pick cars that really do, like he gets in just before um, yes. they kind of spike and then all of a sudden, you know, he's making money. I like TGE. I like Tom. I don't know whether he listens oh. to the podcast, probably not, but I like him and I know people who do know him. Right. And I think you're right. He's When he bought the 912, I think I sent a message, I put a message on the post or I sent a message to him. And I think he mm. told me how much he paid for it. I'm pretty sure mm. he told me how much he paid for it. And he said, because this is when I was desperately wanting one straight away. Um, yep. And then he said to me, don't wait. Just don't wait. Yep. Just do it. Yep. And, yep. you know, the fact how quickly he bought that car and how quickly Ajmal bought his, and Ajmal also, Ajmal, a flat cab driver, also said mm. that his one has gone up by 30%. I think he told someone Ajmal, the other day in you, a comment. you listening? Like you're in the same, same sphere and bucket as TGE, mate. Wow. Um, but TGE, when he bought that Carrera GT, I think he, oh. I think he paid under... I think there was something like it was 750,000 euro or something. Something like that. I think he mentioned something about the price was good. And he bought it at the bottom. He bought it at the bottom. People like that. And you're right. And then the Targa, the, three, the, the mm. 911 Targa he bought, you know. And then the Turbos and the Turbo S's that he buys. He buys yep. those because in the UK, and I make that joke, you know, when you're walking around Mayfair in London, you know, an yep. affluent area in London, you always see Turbo S's. And the fact is, those cars are almost like the free cars, aren't they? They are the free cars that you buy, a 992 Turbo S, and you can sell it six months later and get your money back. 
Um, or so make he's a bit a, of money, yeah. And or you make can tell a bit of money. He's smart enough. Like I know who's in the kind of he's now in the properly in the kind of car game. Um, yes. You know overall, um, and it might be easier when clearly he's got the disposable income to kind of go and you know buy something very quickly and all that sort of stuff and maybe seemingly overpay at the time, but then you know with the benefit of hindsight, like a couple of months later, he's yeah. kind of nailed it from a, a money point of view. But, yeah, he just seems quite uh, – he does seem pretty savvy in terms of his um, ability to kind of pick um, and spot sort of things. And he's got the passion. He comes across as someone that yeah. does have the passion for Porsche. And sure, he buys – I think he buys some because he knows he's going to make a little bit of a quick buck. Like when he rebought the 911 Carrera T, Steve, he had one yeah, and then he yeah. sold it, then he rebought one. I think he knew he was going to get that car, put it on YouTube and sell it again and make some money. That's okay. But the well, other he cars – bought it off a mate, right? He bought it off I think a he friend helped, so he helped knew the mate. condition of the car. And I yeah. guess, guess guessing that he didn't pay sort of full retail kind of price for that, like – if the guy, if his mate was sort of trading it in or whatever, then, um, you know, like yeah. it's easy to kind of snaffle that one up sort of thing. But he's smart. I struggle to watch all those other UK guys like Shimmy and Seen Through Glass and Supercars of London it. and all those people. Yeah. And I, I really struggle to watch them. Sometimes I watch Shimmy just if, if it's a car that I'm interested in, I just want to see it. But I really do struggle. Yeah. I just find it a little bit too, I don't know, fabricated. I don't know if that's the right yeah. word, but fabricated. Hey, Steve, speaking of... Um, rarity speaking of something that if you bought something and we spoke about this before we started recording we did if i we did and if if i was buying a um what is it called the uh 911 gt3 70 years porsche australia edition and i didn't (laughs) realize and the 911 gt3 70 australia 70 years porsche australia edition is a 911 gt3 it's a touring um it was brought out by porsche australia exclusively with you know, Porsche um, Germany, as a nod mm-hmm. to the first car that was shipped in Australia in 1951, which was a 356 in 356 Cabriolet that arrived in Melbourne that was in fish silver grey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that colour will be exclusively offered as the only uh, colour for the for the 70 years Porsche Australia edition. I think in a previous episode I said, are they going to offer that colour in general? I don't know if I could find anything saying they wouldn't offer that car. What you're talking. Yeah, could they offer that colour as in the PTS range? So, you know, everyone thinking, okay, that's a great car, people overseas, you know, people that we chat with. Um, I know Stephen in Sydney, he had someone that bought one, his friend bought one just recently. I saw one, uh, someone else sent me one from Porsche Willoughby that's just been picked up. Probably the same guy. Stephen, if you go, and I, th- I don't know Stephen what this is. from Owner's Chats, who yeah. seems to kind of know every man and his dog, um, he posted some pickies of that, um, that 70th anniversary thing, and it does kind of look... Um, pretty cool, but um, I think the so, yeah the fish silver Steve looks good in, in on the road. Stephen had a picture of it on the road. He's, I think his friend drove past and he took a picture. Looks great, right? Very happy. You You'd can't be very get it happy. on paint to sample. You can't. No, it's not on the official oh. paint to sample list. Okay, so it's not a paint to sample color, so you can't get it. So you'd have to request it. They probably deny you. The problem is, you buy a special edition. How special is it? What are you getting for your money? Look, it's a GT3 Touring. We know the GT3 Touring is sought after, Steve. But mm. in um, Holland, there is uh, on Elfa Spot. If people go to Elfa Spot, you'll see it. It's a limited edition Carrera 4S in fish silver. Fish silver being the same color as the Porsche Australia edition. And this one's celebrating renowned Ben Pon Imports in Holland. It's a limited edition Carrera 4S fish silver uh, celebrating uh, their... What was it? Celebrating their... Uh, 
70th anniversary of Pon Porsche Port. Oh, 70th anniversary as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, you're right. In honor of the 70th anniversary of Pon Porsche Import, the importer has built a special edition of the 911 in collaboration with Porsche Exclusive, pretty much the same spill as Porsche Australia. The 911 Carrera 4S Ben Pon Jr. is limited to 20 cars. 20. How many was the Australian one limited to? 25. 70. Oh, 25. 25. Okay, so this one's 20 cars. This one's even rarer. Um, yeah, but it is a 4S. The car is painted in the color fish silver, fish silver. Um, but that the very first 356 upon imported in 1949. So that that fish silver 356 is was obviously the one of the few colors that Porsche made when they made that car. Yeah. What I think bothers me the most is that you kind of know that Porsche is not just going to make a car just for Australia, really. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're sort of going to use the, the parts elsewhere, aren't they? They're going to sort of like. Yeah couple of million of us in the arse end of the world all of a sudden trying to make us feel special on them. Yeah. And they say the colour is is very similar to the original colour. You know what I mean? It's not the it's it's obviously exact, not going to be exactly yeah. the same. It's an interpretation of the colour. What I think bothers me the most, Stephen, is I mean I've never been a fair fan of it. I actually think the, the sills look better on this one. I think the door sills look better than the Australian edition. But what I have yeah. a real problem with is the seats are exactly the same. It's the same leather inside. It's the same the blue leather and the, <laughs> it's the exactly dress, the same. It's exactly the same. It's pretty dodge. Well, like you know, and that's not to kind of undermine. No, um, not you at know, all. Like not Stephen's all. mate, who's they have got like a rare and special kind of car and everything, but it's not a touring. You would, it's not a touring. You, yeah, it's and it's not a touring, but you would feel a little bit irked that all of a sudden they've kind of released sort of. Oh, whilst we kind of were painting and trimming, you know, these special 25 kind of tourings for Australia, we just busted out another 20 I'm for gonna, the Netherlands kind of I'm going to I'm going to keep doing searches and see if other ones come up. I bet you there'll be a UK edition one as well. There'll be some UK or special China edition. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. But like Steve said, we're not we're not degrading the the GT370 years because it is a, a touring. It is a special car, but it just it's a little bit annoying that Porsche has like carried over things and you kind of know due to production costs they probably would do that steve um the fact that yeah. you can't order the fish silver i think is a good thing that on pts if you can't yeah. do it on paint yeah, to sample true. at least they've they've stopped yeah. that side of it hey yep. um speaking of paint because i know you like paint i don't know like i know you like correcting paint you've got the eye for it now mm. why did the Macan mm. detail Sorry. take you why did the Macan detail take you very little time to complete you're not taking as much I don't care. know about very little. <laughs> uh, yes, pretty much. That that actually, you're, you're joking. Sort it's of not the GT3. Don't give a F. It's not the GT3. So I just finished, uh, when was that? Last week. Last week I started and I finished um, doing the paint corrections, ceramic coating on um, the Mrs. Uh, McCann. Um, it was quicker because I wasn't learning. I had a faster, bigger machine. I borrowed my uncle's um, six uh, Rupers, which takes a six-inch six pad as opposed to mine, which was a three-inch pad. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Um, and I did care less um, because I know the car's going to get trashed. Um, no offense to my wife. Um, yeah. So, like, it's that common. And, sorry, and the biggest thing was when I did my car, it was, like, off the road for what it would have been maybe two months almost i didn't i literally didn't drive it out on the street um i just kind of did panel by panel um this is the car that my wife uses all the time she ferries our kids around or i ferry our kids around all that sort of stuff so 
I, I, it couldn't feasibly be off the road for more than a couple of days um, here and there. So like I did the first step, I, it was off the road for two days. Then I put a temporary coat of wax on it. Um, we drove around on it for a bit. Then I kind of finished it. So um, it was just all of those factors. Can you do that, so, Steve? Sorry. You can do that. You can put a temporary coat of wax and then come back to it and take the wax off. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it did. Because um, if if I did it kind of go like beginning to end off the road completely um, and leave the car so it doesn't get sort of dirty and contaminated and stuff, oh, I reckon it would still take me like, you know, in total maybe four or five days. Right. With a little bit of, you know, tiny bit of experience. Um, you know, like obviously when you take it to a pro, I, this sort of occurred to me only recently they've got helpers, you know, like often it's not just one person doing yes. it. It's like two, two, maybe three guys working on your car and that's how they manage to turn it around in a day or two. Yeah. Um, Cause it's hard work too. Um, so yeah, I reckon it would take me four to five days, not being as fussy as I did with the um, GT3. But in this instance, I knew that I couldn't take it off the road for four to five days because um, it just wouldn't work for my wife and my kids. So I did the first step and then I kind of coated it with wax so it could then be drive to, driven around in. But then I had to kind of re-decontaminate, wash it mm. and strip the wax off and all of that sort of stuff to kind of then go again. Right. But the tools and your experience obviously helped. That was why it sort of, it was easier uh, the second time around. A little bit. The bigger, the bigger polishing machine definitely kind of helped, but then what worked against me is that I hadn't used it before, so I had to kind of relearn, you know, that machine plus, you know, which pads worked with it properly and all of that sort of stuff. So, Look, I think, um, you've, um, I think you've started a trend. I think people who listen to the podcast, people are doing it. People seem to be detailing and pain correcting and or you're inspiring people to go to other places and get it done professionally. There's quite a few people that listen to the podcast who have, who have now done their pain correction or had someone else do it. Uh, so I I think I'm late to the party, to be honest. Like I know it's been going on for a very long time um, and lots of people kind of do it. I just always <laughs> sort of felt like it was an, a really expensive thing to do to pay somebody to kind of do it. Like I'm still doing um, my, I'm still doing my, I'm hesitant to get to dive in. I'm still doing that. I'm still in that frame of mind. Uh, and, you know, you know how I, I go like through that. that. <laughs> yeah, man, I was like that for like, you know, a year. I'd, I'd sort of thought about it and my uncle kind of, you know, got the ball rolling and stuff like that. And I resisted for a very long time. Um, and look, what do I really think? Is it worth it? Yeah, like I think it's worth it. I think I do actually think that you would enjoy it and stuff like that, but I don't think it's as I don't think it's as seamless as you can as everybody makes it out to be, because I do right. think your minds the biggest thing I've said it before is your mindset shifts. You've either spent like, you know, 80 hours working on your own car or you've spent, you know, more than two grand paying somebody else to do it and it makes you get more particular about your car even if you sort of think that you were particular to begin with and that's the biggest thing yeah and i think you know doing it yourself i have to say yeah. i've been looking at and i've been toying with this in my head and i haven't come to a conclusion um yep. about removing the window tint from my car and i've oh, said it to you yep. i think i'm still thinking about doing it and and the reasoning behind it is i'm still thinking of doing it i think it's a bit cloudy the back one it's not terrible but right. i think it's a little bit it's just in my head now so i notice it Yep. And I thought about removing it. And I thought if I remove it, then I can live with it for a month. If I don't like it, then I'll just take it and get them to put the ceramic tint on it, right? Yep. Maybe not yep. as dark. Not a big deal. But if I get them to take it off and then I don't see it without, so whatever. But then I started yep. watching things on YouTube, Steve. Very scary. <laughs> very, very scary. Uh -oh. And I don't know if I should yeah. send you this one. And it looks 
reasonably easy to get off. People use either, you know, heat guns or blow dry, hair dryers or steam, yes. right? Yep. The steam ones are interesting because it's interesting when you see people doing their own car. And there was a couple of people there that covered the doors and covered the back seats and whatever. Yep. There's this yep. one dude on, in, on YouTube, honestly. People take his car, the car there. One was a GT3, I think it was. He doesn't put right. anything down. Someone said in the comments, you're just dumping your, your gear on the seat. You're not putting anything on the seat. Then he does yep. the back window and he just starts spraying it and steaming it and the water's going everywhere and it's like going all over the inside of the car. And I'm thinking... Is this how people treat your car when you take it to these places? You really have to be careful what you do. Possibly, I know it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, But so, what's the long story short? What is what is the preferred way of removing steam or heat? I think I I think I use heat gun because I don't like all the water. But they say steam is easier. But I I I think think gun's more focused. Yeah, I think heat gun. Someone else said in someone else said in another um, thread on Renlist that if you just get the soapy water. Um, solution and you spray yeah. it on the glass and leave it on the glass and I think this is the thing where people stick newspaper on the glass sense, does it? apparently if you do the spray the soapy water they say it just comes off I don't think I don't know how that would work how does that um, work how does I that penetrate the um, adhesive underneath the I don't tent? know but basically if you see and there's some really bad ones on YouTube but if you see them with the heat gun you know you'll yeah. get a little bit of glue where you start it but in general the yeah. glue comes off with the film um, yeah, yeah, I watched yeah. other people do it who didn't heat it up. They kind of heated it a bit and they pulled it off and just left all the glue and then they show you how it takes them yeah. hours to take the glue off. Yeah. But obviously, like you said to me, the rear window is the is the problematic one because you've got the demister the and the heater. Yeah. yeah. So you want to be careful there. But, you know, and I've been searching. I've been searching. From the stuff that you've watched, sorry, from the, watch, the stuff that you've watched, has anyone had mishaps with doing that, like with messing no. their rear demisters? No, it seems to be okay. I mean, if you heat it up enough okay. and if you, you know, steam it enough, I think it's okay. Um, Tasha's dad's got a steamer and he said I could use his steamer, but I, I, I don't know if I want to use the steam. It, it gets very wet. It gets very I think I'd rather I'll have the heat. I've got a heat gun too if you want it. Do you? Yeah, I think I'd rather use the heat. Yeah. I haven't decided whether to do it or not. Um, my wife's saying not to do it. I'm not sure what to do at the moment. So anyway, I thought that mm. was an interesting thing. I've just been looking at it and researching it, but just... You know, when you get your car detailed or you get the tint put on your car, you really do need to trust who you're taking it to because this guy yeah. was just like a, you know, nothing, nothing covering anything. It was terrible. Yeah. Hey, I just wanted to ask you one question about the Macan because I remember ages ago you said that you thought, yeah. not to mention you're detailing a Macan which is bigger and it's taller, so it's obviously harder to get around the body, right? Especially when, you're doing, get on roof, when you're doing the roof and stuff, right? And you've got to mask off the sunroof as well you've got the, the sky roof, whatever you call it. Panoramic roof. Panoramic roof. Panoramic roof. Um, I hate that roof. So what I was going to say to you is the paint quality of the Macan. You said before you thought it wasn't as good as the 997. Definitely Ages not. ago. So now you've, been de- now you've been paint correcting it. Were there any issues that you were a bit like, ooh, I've got to be careful there? Did you see any really major flaws in the paint? Yeah, there's heaps of flaws on it. it I don't know how it got let out of the factory. I can sort of pick... Um, I'd need somebody like Pierre or whatever at Atlas to kind of um, explain what it is, but it's sort of a, there's like little bits on the bonnet and the um, front wings where it's like there was a little bubble in the paint surface or there was a bit of dust and it's been picked out or popped and you can sort of tell like it's, you know, um, it's nowhere near as good as um, uh, the paintwork on the GT3 or like my previous cars, my 993 and my 964. Right, right. That's not good. Um, and it's a turbo in terms too. Of, 
Yeah. Oh, well, that wouldn't make any difference. It wouldn't make any difference whether it's a turbo or a diesel. Goes like, through you the know, same it's still paint. paint on the same line. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't, I'm not experienced enough to kind of say whether or not it was easier or harder to kind of um, correct it and all of that sort of stuff. Cause I'm only really, you know, done um, two cars, but just visually looking at um, how many floors and stuff like that. Uh, are in it. The McCann is nowhere to the level of um, the GT3 or my previous 911s. That's no good. I found a really good, I found two really good McCann's for sale. Not that I'm looking mm. at McCann's, everyone listening, but I found two really nice ones, well, Steve. you kind of are if you found two. One, <laughs> one, one, and they're both the new version. They're both with a light bar, lightsaber bar yep. across the back. Yep. One is in crayon yep. in Queensland. I think it's 50,000 kilometers. One is in crayon. And uh, the other one is in both McCann S. And the other one is in Miami Blue. The Miami Blue is very oh, cool. The Miami Blue is very cool in that regard. I've seen them in Miami in Viper Green, like <laughs> in the showrooms and stuff, and it's like I just couldn't do it. I, I like this Fun obviously very subjective. Yeah, but I just kind of go. I kind of hate how. Um, personally how Porsche's sort of taken those colors were you know infamous for RSs and like Miami was close to Riviera which was you know classic 993 yes. kind of color and stuff like that and I think you know Jerry Seinfeld almost kind of claims he started the trend for yeah reviving those sort of bright colors off those old period kind of cars I really dislike how Porsche has sort of I know it's their heritage to rip off but you know, like they were kind of classic 911 colours and now they kind of stick them on KNs, you know, like orange KNs and Miami blue Macans and stuff like that, plus sort of taking the Pepita and sticking that in the inserts. Yeah, like, I know. The Carrera, I didn't realise, sorry, sorry, Steve, I didn't realise the Cayenne had that that Pepita insert yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah, um, yeah. TGE's like, brother bought. I saw it on the video. Yeah. It's like, it looks cool, but it's like, ah, oh, that's a bit annoying as well. At the well, same time. it just sort of makes it less special. It's like the fish silver thing that you just sort of pointed out from, you know, Netherlands to Australia. It's kind of like it sort of made it a little bit more, it, it's making it a little bit less special. And then, I don't know, the more that you see, the more that you see it, the more you kind of get put off by it. Cause like, oh, it's like everybody's sporting Pepita or everybody's got, you know, like a Larry blue or kind of green or whatever, or even crown. Like I feel Crayon sort of, to me, has sort of been slightly overdone now, um, which is a, is mm. a shame again. Like I really like Crayon. It's a bit more special. But you're right. I see. I do actually see a lot of Macans in Sydney. I've seen a lot in Crayon. I've seen one Miami yeah. Blue. I saw a Lava Orange Cayenne, I think, the other day. Yep. I oh, know I saw that yep. in Bahrain, I think. Maybe not in Sydney. Lava Orange, which kind of yep. looked fun. You know, in the, you know it's kind of nice instead of having the grey or the black. But yep. you're right. It kind of dilutes it, doesn't it? It doesn't make it as special. Well... I know it's easy for me to say, but like, um, wouldn't it be better if they somehow kind of conjured, you know, like a sort of color that was special to a Cayenne or a Macan, um, mm, formulated that was, you know, color. special to that kind of model sort of thing. I know like they released them in hero colors and stuff like that, but they are kind of pillaging from their own sort of heritage, which to me waters it down a bit. Good point. Good point. Speaking of, it's not watering down. Um, hmm. Let's talk about let's do, <laughs> we'll talk about this very quickly because we don't have a lot. Let's just talk about yep. the turbo, like what we talked about before we started recording, Steve. Yeah. Um, yep. And this is just me thinking of things, you know, when I'm lying down and late at night and I think of things. And this has sort of came into my mind last week before last week's episode. 
mm-hmm. is that the turbo, and I, I gave you those um, points that I got off. I can't remember what site they were from. Um, it was a, it was classic and sports car, and it was the stats from the Porsche release for the original. Well, it wasn't really stats because it talked about the original 911 turbo, and we know Marco listens has a 996 turbo, and the turbo. The turbos like the 996 and 997, they've really come of age. People are really loving them. You know, the prices, the demand, you know, they're very, very popular. Mm-hmm. Especially the 0.1 997 Turbo Steve and, and Marco's um, Turbo because of the Mesca. Yep. Um, but what I was thinking of, and I'll get to the point eventually like I always do, is that the Turbo was, was so special. It was so iconic. It was the pinnacle of the Porsche range. There was really nothing apart from, you know, the limited run RSs or whatever they were at the time. The turbo was the aspirational car. That was the car you that you wanted. That's why so many people talk about the turbo and the whale tail and the poster on the wall because it was the turbo. And then yep. Porsche brings out their 911 and everything is a turbo. And then people are against it. Am I missing the point here? But, you know, like... Not a... That what one, I is don't, well, the change, sort of the change yep. of The change of feeling for the turbo... Um, and then, you know, turbos at one point there when there were 996 turbos, there were a lot of Tiptronic 996 turbos, right? A lot of people bought tips and a lot of people yep. that had them were the wealthy, you know, eastern suburbs people here and a lot of them were in tips. Um, yep. That perception has changed. But what is it about the turbo? I mean, the turbo was very special, wasn't it? Based on these, all these information, I didn't know half this stuff. It was very, very special. So back in the day, like originally turbos were used in motorsport but they weren't common in sort of everyday cars i don't think porsche was the first though like didn't the did the um 2002 ti come out before porsche turbo i think i think there were some other notable kind of cars before like the original sort of uh, 911 turbo in 1975 um but back then um, like when they release it's like, oh, like, you know, newfangled kind of technology, kind of cutting edge sort of stuff, blah, 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 and like super fast, lots of power. Um, so it became like a sort of hero car yeah. um, that everybody kind of hankered for, which is cool. Like, you know, and then iconic sort of features like the whale tail and even that turbo script, like for the badge and everything. Um, you know, you sort of equate all these sorts of things. So I don't know, even like as a kid, I, you, I it's, even as a kid, like I would have been 75, I was one year old. <laughs> mm. um, but, you know, like just the word turbo kind of means something. Like, you know, turbocharged, you know, if you had a turbocharged ice cream, it meant that yeah, it, was it was, better. you know, super duper <laughs> exactly. kind of thing. Like it had special powers. Yeah, it was the best. Um, uh, but I guess all of a sudden that kind of gets diluted because by the time you hit like a Golf GTI or an Audi A4 that came with a low-pressure turbo, all of a sudden everything's kind of got turbos because it's more efficient. Like it's a more efficient way of producing power and it's more economical and stuff like that than shoving a you know great big engine in something. Um, I suppose that kind of dilutes again, like going back to that train of thought, like because it becomes more common, it becomes, it dilutes the specialness of that. Dilutes the, the specialness. Turbo moniker. Yeah. It's like the fish silver thing again. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. the more of them. But, you know, look at the original. Let, let's just, let me just read out a couple of these things because they're quite interesting, yep. some of these. And like you said, you already touched on this, some of the stats from this Porsche release or details of the original Porsche Turbo. The original yep. Turbo, like you said, features a whale tail developed from the 3.0 RS, right? So that's an iconic feature that came mm-hmm. out. The price of the Turbo in 1975 was 
almost 15,000 pounds in the UK, which is a lot of money at the time. Hell of a lot of money. So you can buy a house for that sort of money? I'd say so, yeah. When motor achieved 160.1 miles per hour during its road test of the 3.3 turbo in 1979, the car became the fastest production car the magazine had ever tested to date. Mm-hmm. At 12.3 seconds to 100 miles an hour from rest, it was also the most accelerative. Yeah. Uh, what else? 930 nice sales in America. 930 yeah. sales in America were halted in, at the end of 79 due to emissions. That's not that important. The 997 Turbo was the first petrol power production car to feature variable geometry turbochargers. Heathrow only available on diesel cars. I didn't know that. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was sort of like, again, I think that's a bit of a marker for um, Porsche turbos, like 911 turbos. A bit like sort of, you know, how they talk about um, Mercedes S-classes. Anytime there was a new Merc S-class, that was supposed to be the forefront of technology. So like any kind of new innovation in cars would come out in a Merc S-class and you sort of feel the same way with 911 turbos. So like variable vane technology in 997 was the first that um, first time it kind of came out in a, in a petrol kind of turbo. And then I'm right. guessing that probably every turbo now, like in a normal car, probably has um, that sort of tech. So like all of this sort of stuff that kind of comes out, used to kind of come out with a, an 11 turbo and you used to kind of ooh and ah and sort of read all of this amazing innovation and you know it was always kind of cutting edge always cutting edge yeah so and then they say the original 1973 911 turbo concept car displayed at the frankfurt motor show survives mm. to this very day it's 3.0 rs body now closed a 3.0 rs engine so it's been changed yep. it's not original yep. uh what else the g uh the um, stuff in a 959 you know, like 959s sort of yes. was a turbo engine in it. That, like I had all that sort of technology. I, I can't quote it properly, but, you know, the mixture of was it water-cooled heads but air-cooled other bits and, um, you know, like all the four-wheel drive. I guess turbos are sort of um, traditionally sort of known for the um, combination with sort of four-wheel drive transmissions like out of the 959. That's a good point. That's a good point. So the 993... Uh, where was it? The first 911 turbo to feature four-wheel drive was a 993-based model introduced in 1995. Mm-hmm. The first 911 turbo to be available with an optional automatic gearbox was the 996-based model introduced in 2000. PDK arrived yep. in 2010. Yep. Um, 20,000 odd 930 911 turbos were built. Not very many. Split between 3,200 examples of the three-liter model and 17,000 odd of the 3.3 litre model. Yep. Then later derivatives, including the Targa Cabriolet slant nose. Yep. What else? Anything else? The latest, ni- and, and then we go on to the latest ones. This is what I mean. This is not really the stats of the original turbo. It's just stats about turbo. Um, mm-hmm. Continuing with the tradition of the 911 turbo is a technolo- technology pioneer. The latest 991, well, it's not the latest anymore, features the world's first variable front spoiler powered by pneumatic actuators depending on vehicle speed. So that mm-hmm. was a first. So they're still doing first on the 9... I don't know what the 992 has as a first, but I'm sure it has something, right? The 992... It's a bit like the S-Class mm-hmm. and the Mercedes, isn't it? It kind of like... It kind of like, yeah. it kinda like uh, um, sets the scene for other parts that are going to go into other Mercs or other Porsches, I guess, eventually, eventually. Yeah. But I suppose the point... Like, it's interesting if you kind of track, like, maybe the perception, which was the first point that you were kind of making. Like, it was always the hero car, like way back in the day and I can still when I had um 
my 964 and my 993, you know, like everybody was raving about the bad boys kind of nice yeah. what was 965 turbo. And then the 993 turbo has always sort of been like a super iconic kind of car. Then like Marco's car, the 996 turbo, um, you know, you'd always kind of turn your head if you kind of saw one on the road, but they started to become a lot more popular and less rare at that point. Um, I don't know where the sheen as such sort of seemed to kind of wear off a little bit, but it did feel like, you know, um, maybe after that they weren't as kind of, I don't know, heroic. I don't know what the word is. Um, yeah, I guess the GT cars have kind of taken over that, right? GT3, GT2s have kind of taken that sort of thing away from the turbo. Yeah. But then the turbo, yeah. you can't you, you can't say it's not a very – it's a very – popular model and i go back to the yeah, uk yeah. right a very popular model the 911 turbo s look at 991 look at 992 look at the values of the 991 still you know people that's mm. still a great car i i have no problem with that 911 turbo s if it had paddle shifters i think it's a very cool car i mean i think there's yep. one on sale at car sales at the moment for 299 with 50,000 kilometers white with red and i've seen them in bahrain they're very popular in bahrain um and you see them on the road all the time and it's a nice you know it still has a presence you know, it really does have a presence. It's still special, maybe, yeah. but maybe it's more special maybe. under the radar now because everyone's buying GT3s and GT2s that maybe the turbo is, you know, more under the radar in a way. You know? Well, big, big sort of generalization and just talking perceptions kind of thing. Like, you're right. All of a sudden the GT3 kind of came out and that became the kind of hero car, um, you know, like the poster car for Porsches in general. Um, and I guess because you kind of go, oh, Porsche is a performance brand or a motorsport brand. Yes. Turbos aren't sort of thought about as necessarily motorsport kind of cars. GT3s sort of are. And you sort of think of Porsche as a motorsport brand. So then you kind of go, oh, well, the turbos are super high performance, but they're kind of put slightly in the more um, grand touring kind of category, you know, like yeah. more everyday kind of category, more continent kind of cruiser, Yeah. you know, continent killer kind of thing um which isn't which isn't as sort of shiny glossy as kind of going hey you know we won le mans or we you know did yeah. this and that um but it's interesting you know like maybe that's kind of where the split was because when the gt3 was there but uh just like from my perception like you know when you kind of come now full circle to the 992 it's interesting, um, like Harry Metcalf and somebody else, who was it? I think some of the Evo kind of, the guys that write for Evo have almost sort of said, oh, you know, GT3 is an amazing car, like we're not kind of shitting on it, but like in terms of it as an everyday sort of street car, Turbo we'd almost take like, oh, TGE, it was TGE. Yeah. We'd almost sort of take like a... Um, a 992 Turbo S instead of a GT3 yeah. because, like, it's so capable and it's so good. Comfortable, um, crazy performance, yeah. Yeah, and it, it they kind of acknowledged it too, didn't they? Like, when they launched that car, Frank Wallace uh, sort of said that um, they tried to bring some of the kind of dynamic edge back to it. They almost almost sort of, like, conceded that um, that they wanted to bring some of the fun back into the kind of turbo. Mm. So the mm. 992 Turbo S um, really is like kind of a little bit back to that um, type of type of thing. It looks pretty cool. I mean, I like how it looks. The 992 looks very, very, very tough, very menacing, I think. Yeah, better than the 991. Like, again, I wouldn't be complaining about a 991 or a 997 no. turbo. Even, 
even if you have this conversation with Mark, I remember him sort of saying to me that he, um, he, you know, for whatever reason, prefers the idea of a 996 turbo, which he's got, yes, versus a 997 turbo. And I kind of got what where he was coming from when he sort of said it, like, yeah. Um, not not shitting on a 997 turbo, but um, there's just that funny kind of perceptual thing about it. Yeah, true, true. And the last point on that uh, those points, that article, the 911 mm. turbo had a very uh, special fan very early on. Very Porsche drove his 911 turbo with chassis number, blah, 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 until the 16th of June, 1980, for a total of 8,000 kilometers, Steve, equipped mm. with a steel sliding sunroof. That distressed me how Ferry Porsche had a sunroof in his 911. Um, mm. <laughs> air conditioning, <laughs> brown leather. I think a lot of the Porsche family, I saw another car from someone in the Porsche family and also was like brown with brown leather. I forget, I think it was one of the sisters or the daughters or something had a car, a long-standing car. There was a, some article about it. They really liked yeah. the brown. The, fer- the Porsche family really liked the brown. Brown leather upholstery many other extras. This car has since been a part of the Porsche Museum collection. You would have seen it in uh, Germany when you were there in Stuttgart. Do you remember it? can't remember it. 911 uh, Turbo? Very Porsche's car? Or is it a wonder? Well, it's got brown leather, so I'm guessing it's brown. Uh, no, the exterior? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't say. It doesn't yeah, I say. There was, there was a turbo there. I think it had like um, tartan decals. Was that a turbo? I can't remember. There's some pretty cool cars there. Yeah, it's kind I of hope weird to go. That people, people, I'd still find it weird that people are such downers on um, sunroofs. It's like, yeah, you know, like. I know, like, you don't necessarily sort of spec it, but it doesn't make it a bad car to have a summer. <laughs> I know, I know. I opened it the other day. I actually opened mm. it because I wanted to see if it was working. We were going over to Natasha's parents on the north side. Yeah. And it was a yeah. hot day and I opened it. <laughs> Natasha said, close it, close it. Too hot, right? <laughs> yeah, too hot. Way too hot. <laughs> too hot, too open, too exposed. Just uh, on um, some yes. heritage type stuff. Yes. Um, what did you think of the Porsche design 50th anniversary sort of thing? Did you see they um, released a oh, the commemorative Targa, but then they brought the watch up? I reckon the watch is better than the car. <laughs> you know what? I haven't yeah. – I know you, you put that link. You know I haven't looked at it that much. I haven't looked There's at it that, that much. There's not that much to it. So There's the watch is good? It, like, well, the watch is sort of like a throwback to the original kind of one that we've talked about previously, which I've always really liked, and I sh- should have bought one when it was like you know twelve hundred. Oh, really? Have they brought that out? I was looking at them the other day for sale. I can't find the link. How? I can't click on the link for some reason. That's okay. Like I think last time we talked about the watch, I think you sort of said they now retail for about I think it was about ten for the original Orfina. Um, I saw one for twelve the other day. Oh, they brought that watch out, have they? Uh, yeah, you but to... you have to buy the car. It's what? only available. For... <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. But at least to me, it's not as dodgy as the GT3, you know, watch that they've kind of brought out that you can kind of, um, you know, customize to match your kind of car. Like, but I, so they brought out the, um, they brought out a commemorative black Targa that's got a few sort of Porsche design sort of details on it. Again, like it's another one of those special editions in black. But I didn't realize. I thought maybe you might be able to go and buy the watch, but you can't. You actually have to buy the car to, to get the watch. That's annoying. <laughs> if you want to, if anyone who's listening, just go to Houdinki on Instagram. They've got a picture of the two Targas, and then they've got a little spiel about the watch, and they've got a picture of the watch. Actually, the first image is the watch, but it just says the first watch is a direct homage to the original Porsche design chronograph launched in '72, featuring an updated movement and a titanium construction. So the other one, the original one, was steel, right? It wasn't titanium, it was or it's coated. It was. 
PVD coder. Or yeah, PVD like coder, PVD of the time. Yeah, the second known of the Konograph One is nearly identical, but will be available exclusively to buyers of the 2022 Porsche designed 50th anniversary. Good reason to buy one, though, if you get the watch. Oh, you don't get it for free, though. You just got to pay for it, right? <laughs> or you yes. get it for free. <laughs> no, no, so, you have to pay for it. So you have to pay for it as well? What? You're buying yeah. the car. What do you think of that? I don't mind the look of that Targa. Like, I don't mind it. Like, I think the seats are quite nice, the yeah, seat inserts. I really don't I like, like the inserts, yeah. Yep. I don't like how it says Porsche design on the script on the side doors. But I peel like the but I like the yeah I think you'd peel that off or we'd just option it off. <laughs> but I like yep. the black and the silver. I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a fan of the Targa when I I've seen a couple in London in all black with the black crossover with the black, yep. and they yep. do look very menacing. I'll use that word. They look very menacing in all black, Steve. I think they look pretty cool. But that watch is a that watch is is the watch. Um, and like cool, I said, that's it? the well, yeah, the Porsche. But if you have to watch. choose between that watch and an original one, I think I'd prefer the original one. Yeah, but I and was looking at originals. Sorry, Steve. I was looking at originals the other day. Have you seen the condition of them? They are. Yeah, yeah, people who bought those up. are beaten up. To they're so beaten up. This terrible because they're tool watches. They were, you know, military watch and all that sort of stuff. But like, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure on a went back when you could travel. I'm pretty sure, like, on a trip in, to Hong Kong, I'm pretty sure they did a 40th anniversary watch which was like the same watch, you know, like with special kind of 40th anniversary oh, really? kind of edition and it looked the same and all that sort of stuff. So that would have been 2012 then because it came out in 72. Uh, maybe 2012, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like in my in wandering around like, you know, the shops as you do in Hong Kong, I'm pretty sure I kind of came across, mm. you know, like the special box with the kind of watch and it came with the the bracelet plus like, you know, Really? Leather or rubber bands and all that. Let's sort of search stuff. that out. Let's search that out and see. Because you know I've I've got a watch in my mind at the moment which I'm tempted mm. to buy. And I know it's not something I would usually buy, but I'm tempted to buy it. Yep. Yep. yep, um, yep. Which I'm not gonna let on, but, but it's classic. Maybe that fortieth anniversary, I'm guessing the um movement and everything inside of that thing wouldn't have been that particularly kind of special. For some for some reason I probably think I would probably prefer to buy that one. Um, I had a look. I was only looking a couple of days ago, and all of them because mm-hmm. of that surface, that black finish is not. The coating you know, comes off. Let's be honest. Oh, in two thousand, yeah, in two thousand, two thousand and four, all the watches that have done black, IWC, Panerai, whatever they are, it always comes off that finish. Yeah. You know, there's there's a Panerai which is like really bad, where it's just come off really, oh, really it? badly, and it's cheap to buy now if you want to pick it up on the second hand market. I'm assuming you can have it re refinished, but then you're losing all the kind of provenance of the watch if you do. Yeah, it. true. But if you find a really nice new in box one, that would be cool. I noticed. Um, I noticed, like you know, when um, Frank Walliser and Andreas Proninger did um, the PR rounds recently, it must have been GT3, I suppose. Um, and you saw them on video; they were both wearing um, mm. the the original watch as mm. well. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't understand what's wrong with us. We should have bought one years ago. You know, they were so unloved. They became what's so... Wrong with me? I don't have the money. <laughs> they become so unloved. But a few years ago you did. Mm, yeah, maybe a little bit. But. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's finish. Um, do, you have a, do you have a recommendation? Because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna finish it and we're going to use those two other topics we're going to chat about next week because you have to go yeah, to Order House and I've got to do a bit of work. Yeah, no worries. Recommendation. Do you have do. one? Do you, want, do you want to start first? Yes, I do. Um... Tire coating um, on my recent um, detailing binge, I tried optimum tire coating. 
So like, I'm sure anybody that kind of cares about their car is used to tire dressing, you know, like um, there's like myriads of different ones and they're water-based or um, solvent-based. So, you know, you get your little brush or your foam applicator on every time you wash your car and you, you clean your tire and you wipe it on. But then the problem with it is that it never lasts and it slings, like it leaves those little black kind of dots all over the side of your car after, as soon as you yes. drive it. Yes, yes. Um, I'm late to the party again, but this newfangled tire coating thing, optimum tire coating, um, if you apply it to your tires, um, it looks pretty much like a fresh dressing every single time, but it doesn't wear off. It doesn't wash off in the rain. It doesn't sling. Um, I was a little bit cynical. Like I actually did it to my car after that's in the duty three, when I did the, um, the detail on it, whenever that was like six months ago. Um, and I remember saying to you, I wasn't sure because it was a real pain in the ass to um, apply it. And I watched like millions of videos and read so many things. Um, the trick to it is that you've got to prep your tire really, really well. You've got to really thoroughly clean it. Otherwise, um, it won't bond to the surface of the rubber. And then it oh, comes right. out patchy and it peels and all that kind of stuff. So you've got to get that right. But um, I did it to... I did it to the GT3. I was a little bit unsure and then I realised afterwards after kind of, you know, driving and then just washing the car and everything, it's like every every time I wash the car, it looks like perfect. It looks like a freshly dressed tyre. So it's optimum, optimum tyre coating. Is that what it's called? Yeah, there's different brands. Like you can get Guillaume and all that sort of stuff now as well. But So um, they last six to 12 months, it says, on something I just found then. Yeah, six yeah, to 12 yeah. months. It's Is really that good. true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my tip... How do you clean the tire so well, though? Tell, tell, just tell me how you get the tire. Uh, you've got to get one of those big kind of brushes, like a proper big brush. You've got to use um, all-purpose cleaner and scrub until like the brown kind of foams up. Um, right. And then you've got to do it again, and then you've got to do it again. You've really got to scrub your tire hard okay. until the point when, like if you kind of get like a microfiber and you wipe the microfiber across your tire, like your freshly cleaned tire, if you still get black coming off it, then you haven't cleaned it enough. Okay. So you got to keep going until like you, you literally can kind of wipe it and nothing comes off. Um, so you've got to, that's how you've got to prep it. And then the other little trick with this stuff is um, I watched enough videos and stuff to realize that um, you've got to use as little of it as possible, like be as sparing as possible. Oh, right. I did it again on the McCann and it turned out really well. So... So um, it's not something that goes crispy over time, right? It's not going to get like a hard nope. coating. And then if you, what if, what if you have to recode it then? Do you have to do the same process and take the old coating off? I, I read bits where, um, see, like the thing is that if you were to scratch it off, like, you know, yes. pretend you rub up against a curb and you kind of chip yep. the coating off it. I don't know what you literally kind of do there. Um, but once you put it on, it's very hard to get it off as well. Like if you just take to it with a chemical and stuff like that, you won't get it off, um, okay. which is like one of the plus sides to it. And cost is okay? Ah, so cheap. It was like 40 bucks for a bottle, like a bottle this size. Oh, okay. I can't cheap. remember. It's like 200 mils. And I've used about like this much. <laughs> I reckon I've used about five or 10 mils on two cars. So, it seems like all this detailing stuff, it's always the prep. You got to get the prep right. Yeah. Once you do the prep, the other the bit, right. the other bit sort of all falls in place. But it's the prep that takes all the time, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, 
like I was very so like I was pretty I was a bit skeptical I didn't think I did the best job on my car and I wasn't quite sure like that it was good and now that I've lived with it for six months it's like oh it's so good oh, that's <laughs> good. just done it to um, the mechanic it's like yeah um like you just it just means that you don't get all that sling and you know you're not kind of constantly after every wash brushing that shit on your tires like um it's like permanent now yeah I mean I went on that drive I went up to the coast on the weekend on Sunday yeah. Um, only because yep. I committed to it and I took Tasha up there um, with yep. my family, as you know. Yep. And it was a pretty miserable day. And I know you and Marco didn't go in your drive because it was it was raining. Yeah, we were going when to. When I yeah. looked out the window at 7, I, I left here at 7.30 in the morning. So I think it was 6 o'clock when I got up or 6.30. It yep. was wet, but it wasn't raining. And it was yep. actually okay. It felt okay. But there's spray on the road. So my car now, I haven't washed it. I didn't get a chance to wash yeah. it yesterday because I got caught up. Filthy, right? But like yeah. it's killing me in the back of my head thinking I've got to wash it today. So I've got to go down there um, tonight yeah. and, and give it a wash because it's just got all the black, you know, in the inside yeah. of the wheel arch yeah. and on the back and everything. It's not, it doesn't look filthy, but it was just enough spray to make it look, you know, too dirty for yeah. me. Um, I know other people yeah. never wash their cars, but I can't be like that, Ajmal. <laughs> pig pen <laughs> that picture was terrible that picture somebody on instagram a, oh yeah somebody sent a picture of that uh snoopy peanuts character a pig pen um <laughs> in reference to ajmal which i thought was quite apt <laughs> uh recommendation before we go because we're to go um my recommendation and look this is nothing new and i know a lot of people use this product um, I'm a bit mm. late to the party. Um, I remember James at Auto Amateur did it ages ago on his, I think it was his 997. Um, but I've watched videos on it. I was a little bit hesitant at first because I thought, uh, do I really need it? And then I thought, is it going to damage my bonnet, the hood, the trunk lid, whatever you call it? Oh, um, okay. yep. It's lid liner. That's my recommendation this week, lid liner. Some of you guys would have already um, purchased this. It's from lidliner.com. I bit the bullet, so to speak, last week. It's being shipped now from the US. I think it's actually already in the country. I think it's already arrived. So I haven't got it yet. I haven't got it yet, no. Um, it's big, yep. though, and I think it's coming Australian Post. God knows what condition it's going to be in. But it's uh, it's just a lid liner that goes on for people who don't know. If there's a couple of people listening who don't know what it is, it just stores, uh, protects the um, front lid, right? It protects the trunk lid. The underside. The underside. It goes on the underside. They give you, like, plastic kind of clips, it just fits into the gaps of the structure of your hood, underneath your hood, um, and you just push it in. And then it's supposed to protect you from the, the cargo jumping up and down. I always carry like six packs of water and stuff when I go to the shops and I stick them in there. And I'm always worried I hit a bump, it's going to jump up and like smash my hood, Steve. I don't know. If that's, <laughs> I don't know if it'll make it. I don't know if this is going to change it or not. I don't know how much protection it gives, but I thought it was a good thing to buy. It's not well, super... Well, it's going to scratch the liner instead, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not super cheap either. It wasn't super cheap. But anyway, that's what I bought. That's what I recommend. It's the missing part. Like I said, I haven't installed it yet, but I think it's a good one. I think it's kind of something that you kind of need to have. Steve didn't want to buy it. He thought it was too expensive. I looked at it because I, I think um, it was on Suncoast years and years ago, and I did look at it, but then um, the shipping cost was kind of... Yeah. <laughs> Very, very expensive. It's like, oh, I don't care enough about the underside of my front lid to I think spend it, that sort of money on it. I think it's 200 something. I think it's 200 US. I don't have it in front of me. I think it's 200 US. And just so that overseas listeners realize what we have to mm. go through here. Um, I think I'm going to look at it actually because I've got it here open. I think my one was 200, 229 US. Suncoast mm. wanted to charge me $300 US shipping. That was the cheapest shipping. So then I bought it directly from Lidliner, and I think their shipping was 120 US. So it's about 360 US or something up all up. 
So it yeah, adds quite see, a bit. Like, even then for me, like unless I'm kind of, you know, getting something like a exhaust part or whatever else, I kind of go 120, 120 US, so like, you know, close to $200 shipping. Uh, uh, Aussie, sorry. It's like, yeah, mm, yeah I'm out. <laughs> like, I kind no, of just go, that's... That's a lot of money, two hundred dollars, just to kind of get something to the ass end of the world. Yeah, I think the shipping was one hundred and fourteen US, and it cost two twenty nine US. So that's yep. that's how much it adds on to it. But I think it's pretty good. I'm glad I got it. Um, I probably wouldn't have bought it if I knew I had to pay um the amount of money I have to pay to get my ignition switch fixed. But it, it's done now, so it's too late. So that's yeah, cool. it. I will update once I put it in. That should be easy for me to fit. I should be able to fit that one. No, I haven't. People have been asking me. No, I haven't fitted the knob. I haven't tried to fit the knob. Steve's asked me as well. I haven't done it. I've I'm not going back to do that for a while. I'm just going to leave it for a second. Even though Marco fitted, Marco... Just get all the house to do it when you go and visit. Mm, I don't know. Marco fitted his and it looks cool. Um, so I feel like I need to do it, but I just... <laughs> I will go and do it. As Marco said, do it with fresh eyes. I will go and do it, but I just... I don't know when. This week yep. sometime. This week sometime. Steve, anything else? Nope. I um, think we'd... Mm. No, no. So I was going to say. Uh, negative. <laughs> negative. <laughs> All right. I think that's it. Let's go. Thanks, Take mate. Take it easy, mate. Have a good week. You too. Good luck today. I hope it doesn't cost you too much. Mm, me too. But, you know, it is what it is. So, uh, I really want to get rid of that horrible little flashing airbag light. That yeah, that would just drive me crazy. You're not getting anything yeah. else done while you're out there? No. Hell no. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be a good boy and not um, sort of trash money at the spend moment. the cash yep sounds that's exactly what i'm doing mate that's exactly what i'm doing all right everyone um thanks steve that's uh, steve coming in from sydney same as me i'm in sydney at the moment as well but we're doing this by zoom because it's just easier this time of the morning it's quite early in the morning all right everyone uh thanks for listening to the porsche school podcast bye for now